Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a great honor to step before you to uh, proclaim the word of the Lord. Uh, just a couple disclaimers up front. First off, my friend and pastor Brandon is here. So, Brandon, it's been kind of like there's a spoke missing in the wheel. So, <laughs> we, uh, we love you dearly. I think the spoke is going to be thicker when it gets back. And we long for your return. We're glad for this respite for you, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. You know, uh, first off, I was thinking about the weather. Are they still talking 98 degrees today? Yeah, this is a deal. The weather today for the believer, this is as hot as it gets. For the unbeliever, this is the oven on preheat. So, so the thing is, is that if you've never put your trust in Christ, run to the cross. Now this psalm is, my friend Rick, great job reading that. That's a lot of psalm. And uh, I'm going to put her in second gear for sure. We might even hit third because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And a person could probably preach a dozen messages off this psalm. It's what is referred to as a lament. It's, it's a difficult psalm. It's about pain and suffering. And we as Christians, we'd like to think that we could skate through life. We put on the skates and we just hit the high points of life. Gosh, golly, we're heading to heaven. Ain't this cool? But the fact is, there are valleys that we go through and there's mud puddles that splash on us and others and it can get rather messy. But we know that our Savior sees us through. I just want to read a brief testimony right up front of some lament that my dear wife and I went through and I was witness to it as my wife some 36 years ago when she had given birth to our third child, Anna. It uh, was but short months later, she slipped into postpartum depression. I've never heard of the word before, but I got to know what it was. It, uh, it's very difficult. You could actually, it's as though if you listen closely, you could hear the wind coming out. There was a sucking sound. There was like a wind coming out of the sails. My dear wife, I could hold her close, but that wasn't all it would take. While that was a good thing, she became detached. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. She would be here, but her mind wasn't with her body. There's a, if any of you have never suffered depression or anxiety, it sucks. It's not good. But you know what? Through it all, you know, my wife Carol had to go stay with my mother for a while. David and Luann took a couple of our children. The little one went to Aunt Renelle. So we saw that people stepped in when we were in need in our, in our deepest, darkest times. They stepped in to help us, and it was huge. And you know, um, what was really interesting is that, um, fortunately, we had a lot of friends in the medical field at the time. And our doctor, Dr. Rosenbaum, he pulled me off to the side one day when I was in the clinic with Carol in, the, in his office room. He said, Bobby... Don't tell anybody, I am a gobbler. I'm from Aiken. He knew I was a Pierce pioneer, but he didn't want to just say that he was a gobbler out loud. He was just a jokester. But anyway, Dr. Rosenbaum said something. I want to quote him, what he had to say here. He said, uh, it was so hopeful. I still remember like yesterday when he said it. Ed Rosenbaum, unquote, you will get through this. You will come out stronger on the other side. And he was right. 
You know, when Josh Groban sings a song, and I'm not so sure, Philip, if we sung it here before, it, uh, it's just powerful words. Selah grabbed hold of it and probably pipe it out even better than Josh does. But it says, I quote, You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. And that's what God does. You know, we can get through it superficially, drag our feet and hide in the closet. We can get through that stuff. But God says, come out with it. Let people know how bad you hurt. It's, it's a painful thing. I know that a few of you in the crowd have suffered this. I'm just going to take the time to pray for us right now, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for this good day. We thank you for every soul that's seated here. Lord, I lift their families to you. Lord, I pray that this message would resonate, that it would come directly from Calvary, Lord. Lord, we know that it is better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. And we confess, we don't fully understand, but we recognize that all the dross is boiled away at that time. That in our pain, in our pain, we need to rush to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> I'm going to go through this in chunks. And I, there again, I could stand up here and preach. And Brandon could preach a few messages. And I'm sure a few of you could as well. There's just a lot here. So first off, I've got four points. Number one is verses 1 to 11. And I'll read them when I go through them. Reread it. There again, thank you, Rick. And number one is verse 1 to 11, our reproach. Number two is verses 12 to 17, our rescuer. Number three is 18 to 22, our redeemer. Then verse four is, excuse me, number four is verses 23 to 28, our rock. My friend Daniel picked that one up. And you know what's really amazing? If you get a chance, I know Philip mentioned, but if you can, come to the Sunday morning prayer meetings. Sitting off to the side here and kind of taking it all in while Daniel was leading the prayer meeting, you probably, if you'd have been at the prayer meeting this morning, you'd hear a lot of the points today that I say were in the prayer meeting. It's like, uh-uh, you guys saw my notes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I had something refreshing here. So here we go. Lord be with us. So our first point well, the first thing I want to say, I place the word our in front of the our words because as the body of Christ, we are in this life battle together. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. So I'm going to read verse 1 to 11 of 102. And unfortunately, this is going to read a little bit different than yours. I think this Bible came out of the 1800s. I'm not sure, but it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to thee. Do not hide thy face from me in the day of my distress. Incline thine ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten or beat down like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. 
I lie awake, I become like a lonely bird on a housetop. Right there, it's so sad, it kind of makes you sick. My enemies have reproached me or taunted me all day long. Those who deride me or ridicule me have used my name as a curse. Sounds like how the Lord's name is used as a curse. For I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me away, my days are like a lengthened shadow and a wither away like grass. That lengthened shadow, you know, the days when you get to the end, the shadows get really long and he's thinking, you know what? It's pretty much curtains. In our affliction, we often sense a loneliness and emptiness. Brandon has quoted this quote many times. It's from St. John of the Cross back in 1629. He coined the phrase, the dark night of the soul. Our prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling as though God isn't listening. We're groping for answers. Even our appetite is gone. In 1979, some of you folks that are around my age would remember that Judy Collins came out with a song called uh, Send in the Clowns. And... uh, it was kind of a melodrama. You should listen to it. It, it really uh, kind of hits, hits the heart. But the thing of it is, Judy must have been, her clutch must have been slipping a little bit. And she was struggling. And you know what? If you could only send the clowns in, I would feel better. Bring the whole circus. I want to laugh again. And uh, the world would tell you, don't worry, be happy. But this is much, this is much deeper. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is spiritually appraised, what people are going through at this point. So Judy tried. In fact, she said, isn't it rich, in one of, her, in one of the lines in a song, isn't it rich, isn't it queer, losing my timing this late in my career? It kind of just hits home. You know, we think that we've got it all figured out in life, and all of a sudden, bam, something hits us. We get tailgated. Here's what Job stated. Job was going through similar things. Job chapter 30, verse 26 to 29. He says, When I expected good, then evil came. When I waited for light, then darkness came. I am seething within. I cannot relax. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning without comfort. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. Yikes, not good. So anxiety haunts. No one seems to understand. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, Jeremiah, I always, uh, when you read in the book of Jeremiah, he got in a bad way with the king. The king says, get him out of here. Throw him in stocks. And they took him and lowered lowered him into a well, a cistern. Then it says in the Bible, it says, but there was no water in it. And he sunk in the mud. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yikes. I don't know if mud's much better than water. But here's what, here's what Jeremiah stated. He says, From on high he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint, all day long. It's a tough sled. Okay, so God, it, it feels as though God has put us in the pressure cooker of life. The Lord says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial you endure. So we, we need to be aware that, you know what, get used to it. Because this world, since the fall of Adam and Eve, there's some struggles, some big struggles that take place. Okay, 
Have you ever felt this sort of pain and suffering? Charles Spurgeon knew what the pain of depression was like. In one of his sermons, he stated, and I quote, You may be surrounded with all the comforts of life, and yet be in wretchedness more gloomy than death if the spirits are depressed. You may have no outward cause, whatever for sorrow, and yet, if the mind is dejected, the brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom. There are times when all our evidence get, evidences get clouded and all our joys are fled. Though we may still cling to the cross, yet it is with a desperate grasp. Those are some mighty words. Unquote. Not to appear as a Debbie Downer, but some of us are... But none of us are immune to the struggle in this fallen world. Mourning over the loss of a loved one, chemical imbalance, disease, dementia, cancer. It could be a host of other things, even relationship conflicts. In the midst of our struggles, ones who we thought were for us use curt, rude words like suck it up, toughen up, get a grip, pull your boots up a little higher, my friend. It can be very hurtful, but Christ has a different plan for us. I want to turn, and you can turn with me if you'd like to, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. And you know, <clears throat> we like to give Satan all the blame, and he deserves it. And yet we know that our loving God allows difficulties to occur in our lives. He's a loving God, and he knows... He is not in the business of raising a bunch of spoiled brats. He is wants to tough us up, toughen us up. And uh, the Bible talks about King David. When he came to go after the giant in the name of God, he said he was kind of a ruddy lad. I'm thinking David had a few battle scars. He had taken on the lion and the bear. He was, he was uh, toughened up. And God does that to us. We're not just peach fuzz. Amen? Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Praise the Lord is right, John. We at times, well, actually I was going to mention that God's aim, God's aim in our lives is Christ-likeness. Every time he chisels away at us and pulls some of that stuff away, we start to look more like Christ than ourselves. So don't be surprised as you walk with Christ, you might not recognize yourself in the mirror. It's like, did I say that? But that's the Holy Spirit working through us, amen? Give them room, fellas. We at times can feel like life is over. Just throw in the towel like in a boxing match or a wrestling match. You see the boxers, they get to their corner and their coach is mobbing, uh, mopping the blood off them. Sometimes the coach just has to say, all done, ring the bell, curtains. And we can get in that, we can get in that position. But yet God says, call out, there's help for you, there's help. 
Okay, I'm going to go on to verse, um, on to verses 12 to 17. Point number two, our rescuer. So I read that to us. But thou, Lord, dost abide forever in thy name to all generations. Thou wilt arise and have compassion on Zion, for it's time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. So 70 years have passed, and God is saying through Jeremiah, round up the troops, it's time. Surely thy saints, or thy servants, find pleasure in her stones, and feel pity for her dust, thinking of Zion. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. Boy, I can't help but think about Jake's message last week. We're heading for Zion, my friends. Hang on, my friends. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. As the Jews were brought back from Babylonian captivity, the Lord rescues us in similar fashion. But on the brink of captivity, first we're going to go through the difficult part here. It's going to get a little messy. In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon sent his army to crush Jerusalem, and they succeeded in their mission. By a sequence of waves, in 597 and 586 B.C., they leveled Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed along with anything of value. Nebuchadnezzar's general was highly effective with his military. It was as though Nebuchadnezzar took a lawnmower to Jerusalem, and each time his army returned, he set the moor deck a little closer to the ground. Only the poorest of the poor were left behind. Everyone else was taken captive or killed. It was an ugly day for the Jews. In our lives of depression and grief can have a similar withering effect, but the Lord in his mercy knows and sees our plight. As he has rescued Zion and sent the captives back, he will surely rescue us. Though it seems like our prayers go unanswered in verses 1 and 2, they are clearly answered in verse 17. His mercies are new every morning. God oftentimes uses the body of Christ to help in our restoration. Sometimes it takes professionals, such as doctors and the medicine they prescribe, or counselors, but make no mistake, it is still God who is doing the healing. He's doing it through the hands of people he has gifted. He's a good God. Brothers and sisters, I remind you, if you're in depths of despair, hang on. God loves you. We love you. It's going to get better someday. It's going to get better. I'm going to try to recite a verse here. I don't know if I can do it. Brandon, you might have to help me. This is Lamentations. This one just hits right on the head of what the psalmist is speaking about. I'm going to turn open to it in case I don't get it. But he says, and I remember, Brandon, several years ago, you added this in front of some verses that we had already memorized. It's Lamentations chapter 3, and it starts in verse 21 through 26, and then it jumps ahead to verse 31 to 33. He says, this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. This is Jeremiah. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. 
And then it goes on from there. And he says, the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. He's got our best in mind, fellas. Okay, so we're going to go on. We're going to go to verses 18 to 22. And that's number three, point number three, our Redeemer. Okay, so here we go. Verse, verse 18 through 22. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Amen. The Lord has been so faithful to all generations. He set the prisoner free at the time of the psalmist's writing, and he is still in the business of setting the prisoner free. In John 80, 80, excuse me, John 8, verse 36, he says, If therefore the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? There's a $64,000 question. Are you free or are you still in bondage to your sin? One could be imprisoned in solitary confinement. I talked to a guy that was in solitary confinement. He'd been incarcerated for 13 years. Three years he spent straight through solitary confinement. Yikes, that'd make you search your soul. So one could be in solitary confinement for the rest of his life, but has put his faith and hope in Christ's work at Calvary's cross and be free in his heart as a canary flying to and fro. Amen? But there's a contrast. The contrast is that a person could be on this side of the bars and have a heart imprisoned in sin. And then the $64,000 question, are you free? Or are you spiritually on death row? God comes to us. He asks, he asks those difficult questions. You know, we'd like to work our way to heaven. Mm-mm. It ain't happening, is it? It's only through Christ's work at Calvary's cross. He paid our price and he, he paid it in full. With, re, with regards to the healing of the difficult situation you are faced with, If you have cried out to the Lord in faith and nothing has changed at this point, do not give up hope. Keep praying. God gives hope to the hopeless. We pray His will be done and in His timing, it will be. Carol and I saw a plaque. It read, The future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen? Do not be duped to believe it is merely a lack of faith on your part. This is a lie from our enemy, Satan. The health and wealth gospel would tell you, shucks, you shouldn't even be coming down with the common flu. But God says, you know what? We live in a fallen world. Jump in and hang on. But I will help you through. Amen? Okay. Charles Spurgeon, once again, knew that it was possible to be faithful and depressed. People would come from miles to seek his advice and counsel. He used his own experience to help others through theirs. He is quoted as saying, it is a great gift to have learned by experience how to sympathize. Ah, I say to them, I have been where you are. They look at me and their eyes say, no, 
Surely you have never felt as we do. I therefore, Charles Spurgeon, go further and say, If you feel worse than I did, I pity you indeed. For I could say with Job, My soul chooses strangling rather than life. I could readily enough have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. Unquote. There is extreme comfort to read and know that a man of great faith went through this terrible affliction and did not hide it, but used it to comfort others. That's where God wants us to be. Okay, now we're on to point number four. And there again, there's so much in these verses. We're uh, skidding over the top, but um, we're going to hit the gist of it. Okay, so now we're on to verses 23 through 28. Number four, our rock. So starting in 23. He has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish, but thou dost endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing thou wilt change them, and they will be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. The children of thy servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before thee. So, I want to turn over now. So basically what God is telling us through those verses is His power is perfected in our weakness. You know, we'd like to puff out our chests and say, you know what, we got this figured out. Been there, done that. God says, you need me. You need me draw close to the cross. Amen? Yeah. Okay, this is, these are some more of our memory verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. This is the Lord speaking. He has said to me, and it's, I'm sorry, it's God speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And I would remind you, Paul makes this, this statement just after he had requested three times from the Lord, would you take the thorn, take the thorn, take the thorn? God says, my power is perfected in your weakness. So I go on, I'll reread God's, the Lord's word. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we come out on the other side, we see it was his strength that pulled us through, and we can help others in similar struggles like Charles Spurgeon did. Heaven and earth will pass away, but our Lord endures forever. Great is thy faithfulness. C.S. Lewis said, another great theologian, these guys are amazing. He said, I quote, There are far better things ahead than we leave behind. Amen? Yeah. Letter buck, fellas. Let's go. May His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We as children of God are living proof of His faithfulness. When we see His mighty power, comfort, and love through the struggles, we can learn to say along with Charles Spurgeon, 
I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. Amen and amen. Powerful words. You know, I'm done early enough that I'd like to go to a communal prayer if we can here. So let's have a few of you lead out, if you would be so kind. And then I'll close us, all right? And if, if you're toward the back, I want you to yell. Otherwise, we ain't going to hear you up here, okay? Otherwise, it's just... So be loud, Josh. I know Josh has got a good set of lungs. I guess I'm not worried about Josh. So let's pray. Let's pray about what we've just learned here, please. And Lord, your word, your word says that you have our tears in a bottle. We think about you, Lord, when your dear friend Lazarus passed and you came to the grave of your beloved brother. Shucks, that must have hurt, Lord. Though you were going to raise him from the dead, you looked around and you saw broken hearts. And God, we know that it's difficult for you to look upon pain, but yet it's for your glory. Dear Lord Jesus, you took our rebuke upon the cross. You bore our griefs. You were pierced through for our transgressions and the chastening of our well-being fell upon you. Dear Father, out of your great love for us, in the fullness of time, you sent your Son for our rescue. But in the most obscure place to a stable in Bethlehem, the King of kings and the Lord of lords born in a barn. Thank you, Lord. Dear Lord, with Job we say, we know our Redeemer lives, and that the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Your return is imminent, Lord. May we live with a sense of urgency. Put a spring in our step, Lord. Lord, your Son is our rock, the precious cornerstone you laid in Zion. In our frailty of heart and mind, we cry out to you. Strengthen us for the task. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.